Thank you, worship team, and thank you, Elijah, for that prayer, too. Um, it was interesting this morning, I was hearing a couple others talking about hearing loss, uh, and some of you may not realize that uh, about 10 years ago, right before I moved here, I experienced a little bit of hearing loss in my right ear. Uh, ENT believed it was due to an, a viral infection uh, that just caused damage. Uh, said it's rare, chance of it happening again are rare, but it... Um, it, I remember the struggle during that time in those early days of trying to adjust to not having the same hearing. Um, and again, it's not enough that m most of you probably would never know that I have a hearing loss uh, in any way, but um, it's just enough in my right ear that it causes some frustrations. Times, especially in noisy environments where there's a lot of buzz or things going on. Um, I remember Katie, as loud as Katie could be at times, um, seemed like she would always get real quiet from the back seat of the car and would be talking into my right ear. I'm like, Katie, I can't hear you. And she would get frustrated and I would get frustrated. Um, so there were those frustrating moments of just not being able to hear like I used to be able to hear. Uh, and then, then there were those moments that I actually found some positives. You know, it's, a, it's great when you're taking a nap and there's noise in the house. You just sleep on your good ear. Uh, that's at least that's what I found helpful. I just if I want to take a nap and there's noise in the house, I sleep on the good ear. Kind of just makes everything muffled and allows me to be able to take that quick power nap. But you know that idea. Some of you I know have that experience where you're in a crowded room. There's a lot of noise or just certain things at the right frequency kind of interfere, and and you really have to work hard. You have to kind of look at the person that's talking to you, look them in the eyes, see their lips move, and try to read their lips, uh, and really be attentive to be able to hear. Uh, and that doesn't always work, but if you're really attentive and really try to do all those things, it, it's there's a better chance I'm going to hear the message come across correctly. And, and some of you have been there, you've experienced that. And, but you know, when it comes to, in the, in the church, and, and when we talk about walking with God, one of the, and this really fits with what Elijah was just sharing in this prayer, this, this, if you want this burning desire within your heart to be going deeper in your walk with God, one of the things in my experience that have been those moments where I felt the closest to God was when I sensed God speaking to me clearly whether that was by reading God's word and God just bring, the Holy Spirit bringing a word off the page of God's word to, to say this is for you, or those moments where you hear God's still small voice. You sense God speaking to you. Sometimes it's not even a still small voice for me. Sometimes it's like a, I always say it's like the Gibbs on NCIS, the whack up the side of the head um, thing. If you're an NCIS fan, you know what I mean. But the... Um, you know, that, that moment where God just has to get my attention. Those moments of knowing that God is speaking to you, at least in my experience, has been, it's, it's encouraged me to just want to know God more. Because it, it awakens within us this desire to say, I, I want to know God's voice. I want to I hear God speaking into my life, into the specifics of my life, and guide and direct me. But often there's so much noise, so much busyness, that we're in a place where we can't hear from God. And, and we just like I have to be attentive, those of us that have a little bit of hearing loss have to be really extra attentive in those situations. I believe in the world in which we live today, where we're bombarded by noise all the time. 
we have to really work at cultivating an awareness of God's voice and his presence in our lives. And, and so today we're going to be looking at 1 Samuel chapter 3. Specifically, this is, this is where God speaks to Samuel, the priest and prophet, and later what's, what's unique about Samuel, one of the things that's unique about Samuel, he not only fulfills the role, there's three leadership roles that we see throughout the Old Testament, uh, prophet, priest, and king. Uh, Samuel, in some ways, fulfills all three of those. First, we see him called as a priest. We see him function in the role of prophet. And then later, he functions as a judge, which was like a temporary king or ruler for Israel. Uh, This is what we're looking at in chapter 3 of 1 Samuel, specifically, is where God speaks to Samuel for the first time. And, And as we look at Samuel in this story, it's my hope that all of us can look at our, his example so that we can reflect on what we're doing in our own heart, in our own lives, to be in that place that we're really hearing God speak into our lives. Um, before we jump into Samuel, though, we're, we're not going to look specifically at chapters 1 and 2, but I think it's important to give a little bit of backstory of Samuel, uh, because Samuel's story doesn't begin with Samuel, it actually begins with Hannah. Uh, Hannah, we're, we're, to, we're told about her struggle in those first couple chapters of First Samuel, of her struggle to conceive, to bear children. And, and it culminates this struggle that she's having of, of not being able to have a child, culminates in verses 9 through 11 of chapter 1. Uh, her and her husband would make the trip to the temple uh, on an annual basis, and in this day that she's at the temple, she makes a vow in her prayer and expressing her heartache, she makes a vow to the Lord. And, and this is really the beginning of Samuel's story. In 1 Samuel 1, 9 through 11, I don't believe I have these on the screen yet. No, those, we're not there yet. Um, in 1 Samuel 1, 9 through 11, if you're following along in your own Bibles and want to look at it, it says, after they had eaten and drunk in Shiloh, Hannah rose. Now Eli the priest was sitting on the seat beside the doorpost of the temple of the Lord. She was deeply distressed and prayed to the Lord and wept bitterly. And she vowed a vow and said, O Lord of hosts, if you will indeed look on the affliction of your servant and remember me and not forget your servant, but will give to your servant a son, then I will give him to the Lord all the days of his life and no razor shall touch his head. Hannah is basically summary of what she said is, God, if you give me a child, he's yours. Never realized how appropriate that was on a day that we dedicate two children to the Lord. Recognizing children are a gift from God, and and that's what dedication is about, is just recognizing God has given us that child, we're giving that child back to God. Hannah prayed for God to, to give her a child, and in making this vow said that if if I'm given a child, I will give him to the Lord all the days of his life. And, and so he, and the no razor shall touch his head. We see that like a Nazarite vow. He's, he's dedicated to the Lord's service. He's going to work in the temple. We re, keep reading the story. We see that Hannah fulfills that promise. God gives Hannah a child, Samuel. She gives birth to Samuel. And, and after weaning Samuel, she takes him and presents him to Eli, the priest at the temple. 
through this whole story in these first few chapters of, of Hannah and the birth of Samuel, you also we get these glimpses of what's going on in Israel's life at this time. And specifically the fact that Eli and his two sons who are serving as priests are not walking with God. Specifically in 1 Samuel 2.12, this is what it says about Eli's sons. It says, now the sons of Eli were worthless men. They did not know the Lord. And, and the account goes on to say that they were taking advantage of the people. That when people would come and bring their gifts, that they would take the best for themselves. They were abusing their position. And, and they, weren't, they not only were abusing the people and, and abusing their position. Remember, a priest is to represent God. And we celebrate as Christians that Jesus fulfills that role for us. Jesus is our great high priest. We don't need a physical priest. We, we can go to Jesus who is the one who intercedes for us, is the way for us to connect with God, our Heavenly Father. But that role, that priestly role that these two sons had was they were to represent the people before God and to represent God to the people and that being that intermediary role. And they were, to, instead of faithfully fulfilling their role, they were abusing their role and, and abusing the, the people and, and taking advantage of the people. And, and it literally makes a very sound indictment on these two and saying that they did not know the Lord. Think for a second, and this is kind of a, an aside, but I think it's a cautionary tale for all of us. If you look at Eli's sons, it's 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 we can see very clearly that it's possible to go through the motions. You can be in the temple and not know God. They can be in a position of spiritual leadership and not know God. There, it's a cautionary tale of saying these, these individuals are going through the motions. They're, they're, they're in close proximity to God and yet they don't know him. And that's a warning for all of us. And, and hopefully as, as we were praying already this morning that we have a desire to genuinely know God, to, to hear his voice, to walk with him, and to be faithful in obedience to him. Central part of Samuel's story is God bringing judgment, not only on Eli's sons, but upon Eli and his whole household. Because Eli, even though he may not have participated in, in what his sons were doing, he experienced the benefits of it. He experienced the, the benefits of, of what they were doing and stealing from the people. And, and, and Eli didn't confront them. He was more concerned about his sons and, and letting them just continue in their evil practice than doing what was right before God. And so the judgment that comes down is not just on ju the judgment on Eli's sons. The judgment comes down on Eli's sons and Eli himself. And, and so the cent a central part of Samuel's story here is not only the judgment of Eli's household, bringing an end to their serving as priests, but the raising up of a faithful man. Raising up a faithful man who would serve and be fulfill the role of a faithful priest before God. And that brings us to chapter three. And so we're gonna walk through this and just make some observations. And, and even as we look at Samuel's story, we realize we're not in a place where we're being called to function as priests or, or specifically in this role. Uh, that God's word in the New Testament tells us that we all, when we, if we walk with Jesus, we all are, live as a royal priesthood in the world in which we live. 
You know, it's easy to look at a story like what we're going to read in 1 Samuel 3 and write it off and say, well, Samuel was, I mean, he was different. He's, he's a prophet. He's a priest. He's a king. But I think if we look at Samuel and his, his example, we can see that there are things we can learn about how we can cultivate an awareness of God's presence and be in a place where we can hear God speak in our lives. So let's just follow along. If, if you have in your Bible, the words will be on the screen as well. First Samuel chapter 3, verses 1 through 3. It says, Now the boy Samuel was ministering to the Lord in the presence of Eli. And the word of the Lord was rare in those days. There was no frequent vision. And that time, Eli, whose eyesight had begun to grow dim so that he could not see, was lying down in his own place. The lamp of God had not gone out. And Samuel was lying down in the temple of the Lord where the ark of God was. Now, a couple of things in those verses. It says the word of the Lord was rare in those days. There was no frequent vision. Basically, in short means, there was no prophet. There, there was no one speaking for God in that day. The people that were entrusted to represent God were, were doing a lousy job of it. And so God has them under judgment. There's no Moses. There's no Joshua. The priests don't know the Lord. So it's into this that we're introduced to the boy Samuel, who is now living away from his parents, living in the temple, serving in the temple, and you see him lying down in the temple to sleep. Verse 4 picks up. It says, Then the Lord called Samuel, and he said, Here I am. And just a pause for a second. Have any of you ever been in a church at night by yourself? Okay, anyone, anyone other than me? Okay. You know, I know we believe in the Holy Ghost, <laughs> but there are moments, if, you, if you're in a church by yourself at night, sometimes you have those moments that you're like, you can be startled. If someone walks in and you don't expect it, I've had that happen uh, in my office in my previous church. For some reason, the, the large wooden arches would occasionally just crack and it was enough to send you through the, send me through the roof. But you know, they, that's, imagine that scene. You're in the stillness at dark. The light of God's presence recognized in the lamp is there and, and, and Samuel's sleeping and God speaks. But Samuel doesn't recognize the voice. It says in verse four again, the Lord called Samuel and he says, here I am. And Samuel ran to Eli and said, here I am, you, for you called me. Because again, that's pretty logical. There's only one other person that could have been that called Samuel in his mind. So he goes to Eli and it says, but he said, I did not call you, call you. Lie down again. And so he went and lay down. In verse six, it says, when the Lord called again, Samuel. And Samuel, Samuel arose and went to Eli and said, here I am, for you called me. But he said, I did not call you. My son, lie down again. And now Samuel did not yet know the Lord, and the word of the Lord had not yet been revealed to him. You know, there's uh, two key themes in here that are, that are critical. Is one, it says that Samuel did not yet know God, which in the Bible, when it talks about knowing God, it's, it's a relational knowledge. It's not just head knowledge. It's, it's the idea of relating to someone and knowing someone in a relationship. So Samuel did not yet know God. He doesn't have a relationship with God where he would recognize his voice. But he also does not yet know the word of the Lord. He has not yet heard God speak into his life. 
But that's about to change. In verse 8, it says, And the Lord called Samuel again the third time, and he arose and went to Eli and said, Here I am, for you called me. Then Eli perceived the Lord was calling the boy. And therefore Eli said to Samuel, Go, lie down. And if he calls you, you shall say, Speak, Lord, for your servant hears. So Samuel went and lay down in his place. So clearly Eli is with it enough that he's, he's recognizing, okay, I'm not calling him. This boy is hearing something and maybe God is speaking to him. So he gives him instructions of, of how he is to respond. If he hears his name again, how Samuel is to respond. And, and the response is, go lie down. If he calls you, you shall say, speak, Lord, for your servant hears. So verse 10, it says, and the Lord came and stood Calling, at other, calling as at other times, Samuel, Samuel. And Samuel said, speak for your servant hears. Then the Lord said to Samuel, behold, I am about to do a new thing in Israel at which the two ears of everyone who hears it will tingle. On that day, I will fulfill against Eli all that I have spoken concerning his house from the beginning to the end. And I declare to him that I am about to punish his house forever for the iniquity that he knew because his sons were blaspheming God and he did not restrain them. Again, Eli is responsible and being held responsible for the actions of his sons. In verse 14, it says, Therefore I swear to the house of Eli that the iniquity of Eli's house shall not be atoned for by the sacrifice or offering forever. Samuel lay until morning. And then he opened the doors of the house of the Lord, and Samuel was afraid to tell the vision to Eli. Now, we've all had those moments where we can't sleep. We don't know how many hours Samuel laid there, but, but it says Samuel lay until morning, and, he, and then he opened up the, the house of the Lord, and Samuel was afraid to tell the vision to Eli. Imagine, imagine what Samuel's thinking. Samuel's a child. And he's just been entrusted with a message that he's going to, he knows he's going to have to face Eli and, and, and give a report of, of how God spoke to him. And so he's afraid because, I mean, who wants to deliver bad news, let alone for Samuel, this child, to have to go to Eli and say, yeah, you and your, you and your sons have blown it. The clock's ticking. We know in the previous chapter that, that the judgment coming upon them is that both of Eli's sons would die on the same day. And that their role as serving as priests to Israel would come to an end. So that's the message. First message. I mean, you'd think God would want to start small. <laughs> but the first message that Samuel has to hear and respond to is this message of judgment upon Eli and his sons. Verse 16, I'm sure, I'm sure there was no way Samuel could get around this, but you can imagine his anxiety and, and all that's going on. But verse 16, it says, But Eli called Samuel and said, Samuel, my son. And he said, Here I am. And Eli said, What was it that he told you? Do not hide it from me. May God do to you, and more also if you hide anything from me, of all that he told you. That statement from Eli, I think Eli had an idea of what was coming. 
and the idea that, that whatever God said was going to happen to him and his sons that would, that would happen to Samuel if he doesn't share this knowledge, you can, you can see that Eli suspects what is coming. Verse 18, it says, So Samuel told him everything and hid nothing from him. And then Eli's response, it says, And he said, It is the Lord. Let him do what seems good to him. So Eli, as much as he failed in restraining his sons, in this moment he seems to be accepting the word from God and the judgment that's come down upon his household. And he's recognizing that God has spoken to this young man. And he's recognizing that what Samuel has heard, that, that it is the Lord who is speaking. Samuel tells Eli everything. Eli accepts the message as genuine. And then the story goes on. It says, As Samuel grew and the Lord was with him, and let none of his words fall to the ground, and all Israel from Dan to Beersheba knew that Samuel was established as a prophet of the Lord. And the Lord appeared again at Shiloh, for the Lord revealed himself to Samuel at Shiloh by the word of the Lord. So those final few verses wrap up the chapter, and it basically, not only do we see that Samuel was faithful, that God spoke to him, he heard the message, he delivered the message to Samuel, or to Eli, Eli confirmed it was from the Lord, but then you have this statement that, that describes that God establishes Samuel, not only as a priest, but as a prophet. He established him as prophet of the Lord, and the Lord appeared again at Shiloh, and the Lord revealed himself to Samuel at Shiloh by the word of the Lord. God is actively working in Samuel's life. And this story gives us this account of of the first moment that Samuel put himself in a place where he could hear and respond to God's voice. And, And those two key themes that we talked about earlier, I think are central as we look at this, is that if, we're, if we want to cultivate an understanding of, of how we can hear God speak, it is hear those themes of knowing God and knowing the word of the Lord. Knowing God, again, that's that relational language. We're walking in relationship with God. It's not just knowing about God and having the right facts, but it's walking in relationship with him. But also knowing the word of the, the Lord is, is coming to a place where that we know his voice. Again, whether it's through God's word directly where God's spirit guides us and, and he gives us exactly what we need to hear from him through, directly through his word, or whether it's God's still small voice and God's spirit speaking to our hearts. God describes a relationship for those of us that come to faith in Jesus, for those of us who have come to a point where we put our faith and trust in Jesus and surrender our lives to follow him, that when Jesus comes into our hearts and our lives as Savior and Lord, that, that we're walking in relationship with him, that, that we know God and that we're walking in a place where we're seeking to hear his leading and his, his voice in our lives. We see those themes throughout the New Testament. Again, we may not be working in the temple. We may not be in a place where Samuel was as, as priest and prophet. But as Christians... We're told that the relationship that we experience in a relationship with Jesus is, is about knowing God and about knowing his voice, knowing the word of the Lord in our lives. John seventeen three says, and this is eternal life. This is Jesus speaking. This is eternal life that they may know you, the only true God in Jesus Christ 
whom you have sent. In the same way, Jesus is he's addressing the Father with the disciples present, saying, this is eternal life, that, that they, the disciples, may know you, the only true God in Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. Eternal life is about relationship. In the same way that the Father and the Son walked in relationship with one another and what we see in the Trinity, the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit were invited into relationship with God through Jesus. John 10, 27, Jesus said this. He says, my sheep hear my voice and I know them and they follow me. The expectation that Jesus presents there is for, for those who follow him for those in relationship with Jesus, is that they, like a sheep, would know the shepherd's voice. We would know the shepherd's voice in our lives. In Revelation 3.20, the image that we see in the old painting of Jesus standing at the door and knocking, and it's always important when you look at those paintings, at least the ones I have seen, there's no, there's no way on the outside, there's no doorknob. Because the door has to be open from the inside. And, and what we see in Revelation 3.20 is a picture of, of, of the fellowship that God wants to have with us, where we know him and we know his voice. It says, behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in to him and eat with him and he with me. God wants us to experience a fellowship, a, a closeness and relationship with him. So if we're, if we're invited to not only know Jesus, to, to know him and trust him for salvation, to know his forgiveness and to walk in relationship with him, but if, but if we're in a place where we want to actually grow in our walk with Jesus and, and come to a point where we not only know God and know what it means to be in relationship with him, but, but grow in being able to hear and discern God's voice, I think there are some things we can learn from Samuel in this account. And, and there's three things on the on screen. I'm going to get those of you that are note takers. I put them all together. Sherry, you can thank me later. Yeah, if you ever miss anything, Sherry takes awesome notes. Um, I've seen some of her notes. She does a good job. Um, but you know, that, that idea of cultivating an attentive attitude committing to listen and obey and confirming God's, confirming God's message. You see all three of those things in this account. And at first is this idea of cultivating an attentive attitude. Remember in verses nine through 10, where Eli finally is getting that God is doing something and he sends Samuel back to listen. He says, therefore, Eli said to Samuel, go lie down and if he calls you, you shall say, speak Lord, for your servant hears. And that's how Samuel responds. When he hears God call that third time, he says, speak Lord, for your servant hears. You know, too often in my life, prayer was much more about me trying to figure out the words to say than having an ears to listen. And, and knowing to discern God's voice, I, the best counsel that I I've, I've, can give you that I've had to remind myself is just shut up sometimes. <laughs> like we've, um, sorry, your pastor, that may be the first time you've heard your pastor tell you to shut up, but... Um, to, we're, we're all, we all can fall into that tendency that we just want to talk. And, and there are places that that's part of prayer. Us expressing our words and our thoughts to God is part of prayer. But there should be some, just like if I'm in a conversation with someone, I mean, how much do you enjoy a conversation with someone where they do all the talking? 
That's not a healthy conversation. As Christians, we have God's word, inspired word through the Bible, and we have the work of the Holy Spirit bringing that word to life for us, and God can then speak to us, but he will never speak in a way that is contrary to his word. But we have all of that going on, and yet we sometimes just go to prayer and we just want to shoot words at God and not quiet our hearts and our lives to really hear from him. And so cultivating an attentive attitude, honestly, I think you could even use Samuel's exact words. When you take time each day and you open up God's word and you read his word, when you take time for prayer, when you begin that time with the Lord each day, quiet yourself and say, speak for your servant ears. It's a reminder to say, I, I'm not only, it's not just about what I read and what I say, it's about I want to spend time in God's word and spend time in prayer so that I would hear God speak into my life. We need to develop listening prayer where, where it's not just us doing the talking, but that we quiet ourselves to hear. We need to learn the disciplines of silence and solitude practiced by Jesus himself. Who Jesus again and again, it says that he would often withdraw to pray. It's intentionality. Again, going back to my illustration about how hard it is to hear in a noisy room. Sometimes the, the, the discipline of, I believe the distance, discipline of silence and solitude are critical to all of this. And some of you are saying, some of you with younger kids are saying, yeah, you've not been in my house. So like the idea of finding a quiet place in my house is almost impossible. <laughs> you do what you can do whether it's getting up early, literally locking yourself in the closet, whatever you need to do, um, find time where you can withdraw. And that, again, silence is the lack of noise, the lack of all the extra voices. Solitude is being alone. So you're alone to hear from God. If we're going to cultivate an attentive attitude, we need to build the disciplines of silence and solitude in our life. We, but we, as part of that, it's turning off the noise. And, and I realize we can't eliminate all the noise from our lives. But do you realize how often, if we're honest, how much noise we intentionally choose to put into our lives? You can turn off the Facebook feed. You can turn off the TV. You can turn off whatever it is. The things that are distracting you, that are feeding your mind and making your run, mind run nonstop, turn it off. Find a place of silence and solitude so that God can speak to you. The second thing we see in Samuel's response is a commitment to listen and obey. And again, we see that in Samuel's example that he hears Eli speak and then he's obedient to what Eli instructs him to do. But then in his response to God, the, the speak Lord for your servant hears, Samuel's embracing the role for himself as being a servant is putting himself in that posture of obedience. It's not just that you want to be able to say, oh yeah, God spoke to me and I write that down. The, the point of hearing God speak is that if God gives us instruction, that we're faithful and that we're responsive. There's a difference between hearing and listening and obeying. And, and, and parents, you know that. We, we know as parents, we know that there's a difference when I tell my kids, take the garbage out. And when the garbage hasn't gone out for two or three straight days, um, I, or been collected throughout the house, I can say, well, did you hear me? Yeah, I heard you. 
You catch the difference? It's one thing to hear. It's another thing to listen to obey. And that theme we see throughout Scripture, that God wants us to have ears to hear. That are, again, not just that we hear the actual noise going into our ears, that we can process the words, but that we're listening to be responsive, to be obedient. You know, too often I think we worry so much about trying to hear God speak about something that we're trying to discern what he wants us to do. If you really want to train your ear to do the things that God is, is telling us, Recognize the fact that in God's word, he's already given us lists of things that we should be doing. And there's things that God's word tells us not to do as well. We, we know those. Those are the ones we typically go to, whether it's the Ten Commandments uh, or whatever the instructions of things we're not to do. But, you know, just looking at the positive for a second, because too often I think we tend to focus on the negatives of what not to do, and we, we forget the, all the things in God's word to tell us what we are to do. Because if you want to know God's voice, we need to be obedient to the things that we already know. So all the one, one another's in scriptures, the call to love one another, the call to forgive one another, the call to encourage one another. Those are commands in God's word that we don't have to pray and say, God, do you want me to forgive? God, do you want me to encourage? Like, yeah, the answer is yes. God's word already tells us those are things that we're supposed to be doing. Matthew 25 tells us we're to care for the least of these, caring for the hungry, the thirsty, the welcoming, the stranger, visiting the prisoner. We're called to walk in holiness. There's so many things in God's word that, that tells us how we are to live. And, and, and if you want to develop an obedient spirit where we're hearing God speak and then walking in obedience... Obey what you already know. Do the things that God has already told you to do. Third piece, developing, cultivating an attentive spirit, beginning to um, committing ourselves to listen, to obey. But the third and final piece, and this is a little more subtle in the text, but I think it's so critical because we don't wear the title of prophet. It's critical that as, as Christians, as those of us that are following Christ, that we understand the importance of confirming God's word to us. Confirming God's message. And for, for Samuel, that was in verse 18. So Samuel told everything. He hid nothing from Eli. And, and then Eli said, it is the Lord. Eli gives confirmation to Samuel. As hard as it would have been for Eli to hear that message, Eli confirms that it was the Lord that spoke to Samuel. And that begins the life of Samuel seeking God and, and hearing from God as he served as priest and as he served as prophet and as he served later as a judge. For us, there's two key ways that we can confirm God's message to us and confirm that God is speaking. And I mentioned this earlier, that God will, when we know that God has already spoken to us through his written word, but when we talk about God speaking to us directly and God's spirit speaking to us, it is critical that we understand that God will never tell us anything that is inconsistent with what he has already said in his word. God's word has to be primary and central and seeking to know his will and to know his leading in our lives, we need to be living in his word, saturated in his word. Hebrews 4.12 says that the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing the divisions of soul and spirit, of joints and marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. 
God's word can train us. It can rebuke us. It can care, comfort us. There's so many things that God's word does to, uh, for us. But the first and foremost in our conversation this morning is God's word is his written word to us. And God's spirit, when we take the time to open up God's word, God's spirit, in the same way that God inspired the written word, he illuminates the written word so that we can understand it and that we can hear God speak into our lives. So we need to confirm God's message through the word, but we also need to confirm God's message in community. And, and this is where it's critical for believers today, as it has been throughout the history of the church, that we are actively involved in a community of faith. That, there are, that, we're in, that we understand the importance of having some believers in our life who know us well, and can speak to us, and, and that when we can come to them with humility and say, this is what I sense God speaking to me about, you can share that, and they can say, that rings true to not only God's word, but it rings true to what I'm hearing as well. That's the history of the church, is people in community seeking the Lord through his word and seeking the word and, and asking God's spirit to be guiding and directing them together. And, and from a pastoral perspective, the places in my pastoral ministry where I struggled the most often when, with people and trying to help people is when I could, people would say, well, no, God spoke to me. This is what I'm doing. And everyone I knew in their life was saying, no, that's not. <laughs> that's not what God is telling you. But there was an unwillingness to hear. We need to be cultivating not only an awareness of God's word, but we need to be in relationship with some other believers that we can trust that we can be listening to, that when we sense God speaking to us, that we can not only check it by God's word, but we can check it in community to know whether or not God is speaking. I don't typically end a sermon with a commercial, but it seemed appropriate today too. Hopefully all of us can take the message today and the challenge to cultivating an awareness of God, to be listening to, for his voice, of, of making sure that we're listening with the intent of not just hearing, but obeying. And, and that we're willing to check anything we hear with God's word and in community. But I uh, just want to get, remind the ladies that on the 12th, when we kick off the Sunday school classes, uh, the ladies are doing a new study by Priscilla Shire called Discerning the Voice of God. And when I remembered that, I thought, you know, that would be good for those, maybe you're hearing something today and you're saying, yeah, I know I need to grow in this area. Um, definitely encourage you to come out, uh, talk to Christine Smith, Cheryl McNeil, they'll get you the books. Uh, let you know. But, you know, I pray that all of us today, as we close and as the worship team comes to lead us, that we would just open our hearts and be intentional this week that when we go to the Lord in prayer, that we think about Samuel's prayer and say, here I am, Lord, speak, your servant is listening. You pray with me. Dear Holy Father, we thank you for Samuel's example. Lord, even as a child, Samuel was faithful. We're reminded today, Lord, that, that we are to have the faith of a child. And Lord, I just pray that you help us to remember how, how important it is to have a posture where we're, we're cultivating an awareness of your, of your speaking into our lives, that we, that we are training our ears to hear. And that when we, when we know your will, that we'd walk in obedience to your will. And Lord, that we would live in community and live in your word so that we are always checking, Lord, the things that we're hearing through your word and through the community in which you've called us. Pray this in Jesus' name.